Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Do you want to change? And I suspect the answer for most of us is yes. Um, I um, have actually a real privilege um, as being a site leader. One of the things I get to do is talk to an awful lot of you. Um, And one of the things that I didn't expect when I started um, doing this kind of whole trying to lead a church thing was actually realising that it really breaks my heart sometimes when I have conversations with people. Um, When I've got friends who kind of wrestle through stuff with me that I'm struggling with um, and then I wrestle through something else that they're struggling with And it eats away at you because life is hard. And there's so many of us at the minute, we are stressed, we are busy, we want to know more joy, we want to be less anxious, we want to learn to deal with the bad days better. There's so much of that. And we all, I think, have a collective shared sense in the conversations I have that we want to change. But a lot of the time, we're not really quite sure how to do that. And for most of us, we have a bit of a gap. We have a bit of a gap between who we are now and who we want to be. So this is who we are, and this is who we want to be, and it feels like there is a chasm between the two of them. And that is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at how we close that gap. And our plan, as Dan said, over the coming months, we're working through this series called Practicing the Way, and our goal is we want to model our lives off the only man who has ever got it absolutely nailed. Uh, The only man who has lived fully content, fully at peace, full of joy, that is Jesus of Nazareth. And if you were here at the start of the series, you will know we're going to call that process spiritual formation um, when it appears behind me. Um, And we're going to call spiritual formation a process because it doesn't happen like that. It happens over months and years and decades of being more filled by the character traits of Jesus so that we become more like our real true selves. Because we weren't created to be anxious or stressed or any of those things. And so actually, as we become like Jesus, we become more like who we are created to be. Um, And we're going to do this in two parts. Um, So I am very sorry, you're here for part one, which is the theory. Um, Now, I know nobody loves going to school, and so you are welcome to hate me, but do make notes as you hate me, because it will be very useful for part two that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks' time. Um, And we're going to look at essentially how we do that. How do we close that gap between who we are now and who we want to be? Um, And I'm going to start by looking at a text from Romans 12. Now, the Bible talks about this an awful lot, so I'm just going to pick one or two verses today. Um, If you're familiar with the book of Romans, the first kind of half, so chapters 1 to 11, they are heavy theology. Um, There is an awful lot of mind-blowing, intellectual, mind-focused stuff in there. And then we get to um, chapter 12, and Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that last bit is what we're going to be looking at today. Now, before I carry on, I want to map two words from the Bible into our modern speak. So, Give me two seconds while I nerd out. The above is a diagram of your brain. 
Um, you thought you would be coming to an anatomy lecture this morning, I am sure. Um, and your brain functionally has got lots of different parts in it. I won't go into all of them, I just want to focus on two. And the two I want to talk about are, number one, the prefrontal cortex. So that's the bit at the front of your brain, right there, that does all your thinking. It solves problems, um, it helps you make plans, it's very well considered and thought out, kind of like the wise old uncle in your head. Um, it's what the Bible writers would call your mind. And then we've got a second part of your brain that we're going to look at called your limbic system. Now, this is an awful lot more complicated, um, but it, in a nutshell, it controls all the stuff that we would call the flesh. So that is, I want to have sex, I want to eat, I want to do all those, those primal drives. But it also controls the stuff you love and your actual behaviour based off what you love. And a lot of that is stuff that we have developed through our lives. So maybe you're a parent, you love your kids. Maybe you love your job or your career. Maybe you love that Netflix show that you've got addicted to. And so the limbic system does all the emotional stuff, um, and it almost always will win against your mind. And it is what the Bible uh, refers to as your heart. So we've got your mind, and we've got your heart. So when we read in Scripture about the mind and the heart, this is largely in our modern speak, what we're mapping it to. Now, why do we care about this? Because you all probably right now just think I'm a nerd and we need to move on. Well, I don't think I'm just a nerd. I think this can help us follow Jesus. So if we flick back to Romans 12, what Paul is saying after all this good stuff, all this theology in chapter 1 to 11 about God, I've told you about who God is and how he works and all that sort of stuff, what should your response be? Your response should be to give yourself up as a sacrifice, to deny yourself and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is where I think the science can help us, because a lot of us, I think, can slip into the mindset of actually, this is the way I am. The way I think, it can't change. This is just the person that I am. I am an anxious person, or I'm a stressed person, or I think nothing of myself, and that's always going to be the case. But what we now know is that it is possible to rewire your brain. So I apologise, but we're going to go a bit more nerdy, if that's okay. And we're going to revisit this prefrontal cortex. So your mind, this is where your thoughts are and your planning and your decision making, all that sort of stuff. How your brain does all these things is um, there's little cells in your brain called neurons and they fire off electricity. Um, and electricity being fired in different patterns is how you think and how you do stuff. Now, once those neurons fire together in a pattern, they are statistically more likely to fire again in that same pattern. Basically, once you think a thought or do a thing, it becomes easier to do that thing again. But also, and this is the key bit, we'll see if you're tracking in a minute. Once that initial neuron in a pathway fires, once that first signal is sent, the rest of the pathway is more likely to become activated than the other neurons around. Um, more likely than not, once that first one gets fires, um, that first neuron fires, you will go down the same path that you have always gone down. Now, why is that important? If you are confused, that's okay. We're going to move it into an analogy. So, I want you to imagine you are in a jungle. This is my jungle. Are you all in the jungle in your heads? Give me a nod. Yes, good. That's what we like. So this jungle is your brain. And when you want to walk a path through the jungle, the path is your thought or your action. Um, and I want you to imagine um, the first time you think a thought, you've got to take a machete and you've got to go and hack through. Oh, sorry, go back. You've got to go and hack through that dense jungle. 
Um, it is going to be hard work the first time you do it because you've got to get your machete out, you've got to go and you've got to go and you've got to go. But the second time you think that thought, you kind of carved a little bit of a path. So it's a little bit easier. Maybe the third time you think the thought, the path looks a little bit like this. So you've kind of got a bit of leeway. And then the hundredth time you think the thought, you've got a path that, that's, that is that big. Now, why does this matter? It matters because when your brain comes to the edge of the jungle and you need to think a thought or do a thing, it's going to go down the path of least resistance. So let's take the analogy of happiness. Let's say... Um, You, uh, in your head, have a thought that actually what will make you happy is a nice brand new car or it will be a beautiful new house that's a thousand times bigger than what you have now. And when you feel unhappy, your brain's got a choice. It can go down the, the path of what's making me unhappy. It's the car and the house, which is a massive path that's this big. Or it can go and make a new path and fight through the jungle again. And your brain is lazy. It doesn't want to do that. So it just goes down the same path that you've always been down. Now, largely, this is a good thing. This is um, why you could remember the way to church this morning. You're here. None of you got lost. Congratulations. It's how we learn stuff. So it's how we learn to ride a bike. The first time you do it, it's difficult. By the hundredth time, you don't even need to think about it. It's how you remember to cook recipes. But also, it's the reason we can get stuck in really unhelpful thought patterns. It's the reason we can dwell on stuff that is really damaging to our soul. The reason we can have false beliefs about ourselves that we want to change, but we just struggle and we feel like we can't. Why am I talking about this in church? It's because I think for so many of us, these subconscious beliefs, these ingrained beliefs, they are one of the biggest barriers to our relationship with Jesus. And some of those beliefs are more obvious. So I I said the one before, maybe you are surrounded by friends who have nicer houses and nicer cars and so forth. And they just look so happy because you only see their social media feed. And so when you get to the junction of I'm unhappy, you go down the route. Oh, no, that is. Yes, that'll do. Um, You go down that same route as before. How does that affect your relationship with Jesus? Well, it means your brain is going to train you to focus on your house renovation or saving up for that fancy car rather than your relationship with Jesus. But some of this stuff is actually a lot more difficult to talk about. Maybe you were brought up as a child and some people you really loved, people you really trusted, they told you you were useless. They told you you were worthless, that you were never going to be good enough, that you were thick. And so the result of that is you struggle to find the peace that comes from being a loved child of God because you just can't believe it because your brain is taking you down that path. Maybe you were brought up with parents who worked crazy hours, absolutely ridiculous hours, and your family always valued it when you succeeded at something and you did well. Maybe you did really well at school. And so subconsciously somewhere there's a path that is telling you your worth is attached to what you can achieve. And the knock-on of that is... When it comes to your job versus your relationship with Jesus, your job is always going to win because your brain is telling you that's more important. I could go on and on with examples about this, but I just want to encourage you to pause. What are those things in your mind? What are those unhelpful beliefs? There is a good chance you might not even recognise them. Um, That's where we need community, we need friends, we need mentors. I have a phenomenal mentor that I've worked with. Uh, We sit down once a month and have done for the last two years and he's helped me recognise an awful lot of really unhealthy patterns in my brain that I haven't sorted out but I am working towards. It is impossible to grow up in today's world and not have some of these. Don't feel guilty, we have all got them. 
But this is why we need to renew our minds. And I want to do it with the example of worry. Um, But if worry isn't something you struggle with, I've just chosen this because this is something I've wrestled with a lot in the past. Pick a different example. Pick whatever you are dwelling on at the moment. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, do not worry. Um, It's kind of a quick one-line teaching. Um, I know a lot of us struggle with this. And I just feel like sometimes when we try and break out of that, we can fall into the pattern of, I've tried not to worry. James, I have tried. It doesn't work. I've gone out and I still worry. I still get that sick to my stomach feeling. I still struggle when that person says something to me. James, the stuff you're telling me doesn't work. And what I want to tell you this morning is that is not true. You are not a worrier. That is not your personality. It is a false belief that can change. So what we're talking about here with the neurons, that's something called neuroplasticity. Um, And plastic means it can change. You can train your mind to carve a new path through the jungle. But to do so is actually quite hard. You need to get a machete out. You need to fight it. It's so much easier to go down the path you did before. So for me, when I'm tired, when I'm over busy, when I'm stressed, those are the times when I can't do it and I just fall down through the path I've been before. But gradually, over time, you can make new paths. And what's more important is as you make those new paths, the jungle can regrow over the old paths. Those old unhelpful thought patterns and habits over months and years and decades can grow back. And that is how we slowly transform or renew our minds, becoming the people that Jesus made us to be as we become more like him. Um, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 uh, talks about taking captive of every thought Um, and interestingly you know as a doctor um, when people come to me struggling with depression or anxiety one of the most common things we do is we refer them for something called CBT cognitive behavioral therapy which is essentially what the bible has been teaching for 2,000 years we're just only catching up you can train your mind to change the way you think that's the first thing I want you to know this morning The patterns that you feel stuck in, they are not going to be there forever. You can change them. But is it hard? Yes, it is flipping hard. But is it possible? Yes. And I just want to cast your minds back to the training analogy we used in the first kind of message of this series. Think about running a marathon. We would not expect you to train on day one and get to 26.2 miles. And it's the same in your minds. It's a little bit as a time. As we bump the miles up in our training process, as we bump the changes in our mind up, as we train ourselves to think, we will gradually, over time, get fitter and fitter and closer and closer. So step one, we are going to renew our minds. And the way we do this, we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, but primarily it is through teaching. And so teaching helps us counter the stories we believe, all the lies we believe, and helps us make new paths. I've put some examples here of what constitutes teaching. It's not just coming to church, although that is so important. It might be reading your Bible. You know, for me and um, my wrestles with worry in the past, one of the most helpful things I've found is memorising bits of scripture and drilling them in to make new paths, to take me down a different route. Every time that worrying thought comes in, to train myself to not go down there, to literally reform my mind to go down a different way Um, coming to church is really really important doing it in community a lot of our blind spots are blind spots i.e we can't see them ourselves we've got to do it together Um, reading books um, getting a mentor i think one of the single most useful things in my relationship to jesus is finding a good godly mentor someone you trust and someone you get on with Uh, they need to be someone you like otherwise this is going to work but someone you trust to call you out Someone who can say, actually, James, this thing that you're doing is really not very helpful. 
Um, and then finally, I've mentioned things like podcasts. They are so, so useful because they give you access to teaching from so many different places. I love when I'm driving in my car, listening to sermons from other churches and just drilling that teaching into your mind. I often um, you know, hear people who are quite critical of church coming to me and saying, oh, well, you know, I can't even remember the sermon that was spoken on Sunday. I can't even remember what people said. And my answer is normally something along those lines of, you know, I can't remember every meal I've ever eaten. I'll be very honest, I can't. But I know all of them have nourished me and been nutritional. And in the same way, when we come to church, some of what you hear does something on a subconscious level to teach you a new path is an option. You might not remember every sermon you've ever heard, but it is helping regrow that jungle. But, now here's the but, because uh, there's always a but, come on, we can't be too easy about this. Teaching to change your minds is important. It is vital. I don't want to understate that at all, but it is only the first step because knowledge is not our main problem. Okay, We need teaching and we need to learn, but most people, most Christians would stop at this point. So they'll come to church every Sunday, we'll listen to some sermons, we'll go to community group, we'll listen to podcasts, read books and so on and so on. And then we'll wonder why we're still struggling with that same anxiety that we've been wrestling with for 10 years. We'll wonder why all of a sudden we're not Mother Teresa, bang, hurrah. Why is that? And I want you to write this down if you've got your practice in the way, it's because you cannot think your way to change. You cannot think your way to change. Have you ever come to church on a Sunday um, and you've been really moved by what was said in the service and you're like, oh yeah, that was good. I'm going to go away this week and I'm going to get up at six o'clock every morning. I'm going to pray for three hours and it's going to be so amazing. And then you get to Monday morning, oh my word, I'm tired. I'm just going to have a lie in. Have you ever been in that place? I am in that place an awful lot. Why is that? It's because knowing something is not the same as doing it which is still not the same as wanting to do it. That is why there is such a massive gap between what we know and what we do. Case in point, I know in my head that the little mini flapjacks and millionaire shortbread and salted caramel and hula hoops and jammy dodgers, I know those things are bad for me. Okay, I'm a semi-intelligent person who knows I shouldn't be eating as much as I do of those things. However, um, the problem with working in Aini um, is all the doctors, we take it turns to buy snacks that we leave in the doctor's office for us all to dip into. Um, and most of the time, when I'm tired and hungry, which is give or take every shift, um, I bash those snacks like there is no tomorrow. I can eat more salted caramel cookies than you knew was possible. That is my gift in life. Um, why do I do that? Because I know in the long run this is bad for me. It's because in the short term I want that buzz and I love those cookies. And what you love is controlled by what we would probably now term your limbic system. It's what, your Bible, uh, what the Bible would term as your heart. And it is so much more powerful than your mind, infinitely more powerful than your mind. We'll revisit it in part two. Um, but for now, I just want you to write down in your notes, if you're writing notes, the heart always wins with a little enunciation there. What you think and what you believe actually has very little impact on your actions. Okay, so if what you think could transform your actions, all you would need for a perfect marriage is to read a book on marriage and hurrah, job done. All you would need to lose weight is you pick up the Weight Watchers book, you read it once, fantastic, look at me, 10 stone off, amazing. All you would need to stop worrying is pick up your Bible and read, do not worry, once, great, fantastic, job done, never going to worry again awesome what you think and what you believe has very little impact on your actions and I have to be careful because this is going to be all part two Um, but 
when we get to part two, we're going to look at Proverbs 4 and how the Bible teaches us to guard our heart above all else. And actually, your mind can't do that. Your mind can't change what you love. Only practice can change your habits and what you love. And we're going to look at how the things that we do do something to us, that we can change what we love. We can do all of that. And how essentially what practice does is it opens us up to the Holy Spirit transforming us. That's all the stuff we're going to look at with the spiritual disciplines, that our role is to open ourselves up for the Holy Spirit to transform us. But for now, we're going to come to that in a couple of weeks. For now, I just want you to remember, following Jesus is more like learning karate than maths. If you're writing down karate, not maths. Um, so if you want to learn maths, you could probably just read some books and you know do some stuff in your head and you'd be absolutely grand. If you want to learn karate, you cannot learn karate through just going and watching a YouTube video, maybe reading a book about how to punch people or, um, I don't know, a podcast about how to kick people really hard. You can tell I don't know much about karate. Um, They would be a good place to start. They really would. They wouldn't be a bad place to start, but you can't learn karate through just reading about it. You've got to go and find a dojo. You've got to um, put on the cool dressing gown. It's probably got a name. Um, You've got to get a belt. I don't even know what colour belt you start with, but it's, is it brown? White, white belt. You've got to put on your white belt. You've got to do some sparring. You've got to go and do it. In the same way, you know, if you want to run a marathon, you cannot just read Runners Weekly, make a nice training plan, watch a video and be like, hurrah, look at me, I'm so fit. It doesn't work like that. At some point, you've got to put on your shoes, go out for a run. In the same way, if you want to be an apprentice of Jesus, if you want to know that life of peace and joy that he promises us, You can't just come to church or community group when it works or listen to a podcast. They are a fantastic start. They are such a good start. Please do those things. But they're not going to change you. They're not going to transform the way you live. Because at some point you've got to put on your shoes, put on your dressing gown, put on your white belt and practice. Matthew 7, you know, we've visited this several times in this series, the Sermon on the Mount, all Jesus' key teachings. And Jesus says the words, he who puts these words into practice is the wise man. Um, Luke chapter 8, verse 21, someone tells, basically tells Jesus his mum's waiting for him, like Jesus, your mum's outside. And Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Um, there's probably about 20 key verses that we're using for this series, but essentially over and over, Jesus and almost all the writers of the New Testament make the point, teaching has to lead to practice. And without practice, teaching is just really shallow, And it's not going to get at our hearts and changes. And so I want to say it really clearly this morning. Um, There is a place for effort in your discipleship to Jesus. Now, this is really hard to talk about as a church leader because I want to be popular. I want to be liked. I don't want to talk about difficult stuff. But actually, this is something I've had to wrestle with. There is a place for effort in growing your relationship with Jesus. Now, I imagine a lot of you right now are sitting there feeling really uncomfortable, really, really uncomfortable. And I think part of that is the church's fault. So I think understanding a bit of church history could be helpful. So let's jump back right to the early church, 
This is when Jesus, um, shortly after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, um, the early church had a practice-based approach. What we would now call the spiritual disciplines, um, they were very heavy on practice. It was called practicing the way. That's why we've called this series Practicing the Way. And it was all going splendidly, not 100% perfect, but very well, until about the 4th century, when Christianity became a religion in the Roman Empire. And kind of from them up to kind of the Middle Ages, um, the church was a bit of a mess. Um, So people were largely taught a lot of the time um, that you earned your way to salvation, um, that you've got to be good enough, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do the other, you need to earn being saved. And the spiritual disciplines were used and abused. Think of the the monks who'd whip themselves to punish themselves in the middle of the night and all sorts of bonkers stuff that I really do not understand. Um, And that was probably the case until, give or take, 200 years ago when we had something called the Protestant Reformation. Um, And at that point, the church swung way to this side and having a kind of deep fear of earning our salvation, which is a good thing. We do not earn God's love. We do not earn the fact that we are saved. But anything that sounds like that, we kind of just go, ooh, I don't like that. That scares me. I'm not a fan. And I think what's happened is we confuse earning and effort. I want to be really clear with the Practice in the Way series, we are not trying to earn anything. If you have chosen to put your trust in Jesus, you are a loved son or daughter of God and you are enough. You are loved because he chose to love you. You are saved because of what he did, not because of what you do. That is done. We are not trying to earn anything with this stuff we're talking about. But what we're trying to do is find a better way to live. We're trying to take Jesus' teachings and be like, actually, maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about. Maybe there is a better way. And in that, you have a part and God has a part. It's not 50-50. God does most of the heavy lifting in that relationship. But we have a part in that. And our part is to put some effort in, and we'll learn about this in a couple of weeks, essentially to open ourselves up to being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Um, Unlike anything, um, this is probably another controversial one in church. The more you put in, the more you will get out. And the return on investment in God's economy is incredible. Again, it's not about, oh, the more you put in, the more money you're going to make. What we're saying is the more we learn to deny ourselves, give over ourselves, take up our crosses and give our lives over to Jesus, the more we will find that peace, that joy and that contentment. Might not mean life is easy, but we will learn to weather those storms. I think of John 13, um, where he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed because you do them. We are not about ticking boxes or earning stuff because Jesus has already earned it for you. It is not about earning. We're trying to follow a framework that sets us free because we all want more joy, more peace, more contentment. I think of Matthew chapter 7, and actually if we look at Matthew chapter 7, there's some really harsh wording in there. Because Jesus says, he who puts these words into practice, you're like the wise man. And when the storms come, your house will stay up. Fantastic. But he also says, he who hears these words and doesn't put them into practice is like the fool. Now, we won't talk about how fool is used in the Bible, but it's pretty strong language. He's basically saying, if you don't do this, you're an idiot. That is literally the words Jesus is speaking over us. And I want to say it really clearly this morning. All the stuff we talk about in this series, you do not have to do this. You don't have to do this at all because we are saved by what Jesus has done, not by what we do. We are loved children of God, and nothing changes that. But in the same way, I don't have to eat healthy food, and I could just eat donuts my entire life if I wanted to. Jesus is saying you would be an idiot 
if you didn't listen to my teachings. Not my teachings, Jesus' teachings. Clarify that bit. Matthew 7 is really clear. The storms of this life are going to keep coming. Relationship, tension, anxiety, work stress, all the stuff this world throws at us, it is going to keep coming. And so I just want to finish with this example of worry. Because I think worry and anxiety and busyness and stress, because I think they're all intermingled together, are probably one of the biggest problems facing our church. It's probably one of the biggest barriers between our church and Jesus. And I include myself in that. I am on a journey with this. We've got a couple of options when we try and tackle this. The first one is that we go out and we try really hard. We read Matthew 6 and we're like, do not worry. Fantastic, Jesus. I'm going to go out on Monday and I'm just going to not worry. How's that going to work out? It's probably not going to work out very well. Our willpower is not enough to override our hearts. So what's the other option? The other option is what we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks. It's training. That busyness, that anxiety, that stress, that worry. I'm going to train myself to slow down. So I'm going to practice Sabbath. I'm going to learn those rhythms that God has built into the DNA of creation, of stopping and slowing. I'm going to learn to rest and delight and have a day where I am grateful for Jesus, for all he's done for me. I'm going to practice silence and solitude. What does that do? It drowns out the noise of this world that drives that anxiety, drives the discontentment, helps us focus on the truth, helps us make new paths in our brain jungle. Let the old paths grow over and make new paths. I'm going to practice that sounds and choice. I'm going to practice memorising scripture. And as we do all those things, the old paths start to grow over. Those old jungle paths start to get taken over and new paths get formed that take us to a place where we are a person that is full of peace and joy and that worry is eased. Now, will it ever go away? Probably not, because none of us are perfect. But can we get to a place where those unhelpful thought patterns stop dominating your life and stop taking over? Yes, we can. Can you live a life where you are full and free? Yes, you can. Man, that is what I want. That is what I really want. And I think, as I said before, one of the things that I'm really excited about with this series is I've been on a journey with a lot of this stuff over the last two years. um, And I'm really not where I want to be. There is a big gap between where I am and where I want to be. But I've seen a... I used to really, really struggle with anxiety. I would be sick to my stomach constantly. The tiniest little things, I just could not manage it. And I still have times when um, number 11, the charity I run, throws a curveball my way. And I'm like, oh, I still have times. But I am a thousand times better than I used to be. And I'm starting to taste bits of that freedom. And now I'm just excited to get further on that journey. And one of the things that has been really hard for me in learning to lead a church, because I don't have a clue what I'm doing most of the time and I'm trying to learn, is chatting to so many of you and seeing that you struggle with the stuff I struggle with as well. And that's great for me because I realise I'm not the only one who's messed up and they're not the only one who's got problems. But it also breaks my heart because I genuinely love a lot of you guys. Um, You have become my family and I just want what's best for all of us. And that's why I get excited about this stuff. That is why I'm excited to see us go on this journey together as a church. And so what we're going to do over starting next week, we've kind of done a bit of an intro to the series over the last kind of four or five weeks. We're going to start looking at what are called these spiritual disciplines. I've got a list behind me. Um, And 
most of us, when we hear the word disciplines, kind of get a bit scared. We're like, ooh, discipline, don't like that. Step back, I'll stay away from that. Thank you, James. Um, so we're going to rename them the practices of Jesus. I actually like the term spiritual disciplines, but because we live in a millennial culture where we hate the word discipline, we're just going to call them practices of Jesus. Um, and we're going to work through some of these things, and we're going to see how we don't have to do them. There is no obligation. We're not earning anything here. But how these practices can set us free from that anxiety, that stress, that busyness, those unhelpful thought patterns. We're going to base our lifestyles off the lifestyles of Jesus, the practices of Jesus. And I am so, so excited. But I will stress, you don't have to. This isn't compulsory. This isn't something you have to do. But in the words of Jesus, you would be an idiot not to. I'll keep that very simple. Um, And as we land the plane, I just want to... um, I just want to challenge you with two questions. Um, My first question is, what we looked at in the first half, and I know this has been very theory-based, and it's probably not been the most exciting sermon you've ever heard, but I think it sets the ground for what's going to be coming in the weeks to come. And I want you to think, what are those false lies in your head? What are those paths that you always go down? The beliefs you have about yourself? the the habits that you just get taken down that you know are not helping you in your relationship with Jesus. We all have them. We absolutely all have them. What are the lies that are blocking you right now? And I want to encourage you, you don't have to do this. None of this is compulsory. Bring to your mind someone that you trust, someone that you know loves Jesus, someone who's further down the journey than you, someone who's a bit more mature than you, who you could talk to and you could wrestle through some of that stuff with. I think a lot of this stuff is really hard to do on your own. Is it someone in your community group? Is it someone else within the church? I would be honoured to talk about this stuff with any of you because I know how much benefit I get from talking it through with my mentors. Are there any things that you want to wrestle through with someone? And then the second question is, of the practices on that list... Are there anything on there that jump out that you could help you in your wrestle? So if you are struggling with the busyness and the hurry, maybe you're struggling with the fact that you always put your job over your relationship with Jesus. Maybe practicing Sabbath and silence and solitude, the slowing down, could be really helpful with that. Maybe you're wrestling with, I don't know, a porn addiction and you're really struggling to beat that addiction to porn. Maybe something like fasting to teach your body to give something up. Maybe um, you're um, wrestling with something that I don't have a clue about, but there's something on that list that you're like, actually, I see how that could help me. It's not a legalistic, it's not an earning, it's trying to help us find the best way to live. Take that step, do something to start tackling some of this stuff. None of it's compulsory. But what we're trying to do as a church over these coming weeks and months, and the core team are going to hate me, but we'll probably do it for another six months after that, um, is we're going to look at how we can live a life that is more full and free.